right. Well, welcome everyone uh, to the January 11th, 2022 organizational and regular meeting of the school board. Um, each year as superintendent, I get a chance to begin the organizational meeting and portion of this um, agenda and as the acting chair until the board elects a new chair, which is going to happen very quickly here, I would imagine. Um, so the first item of business for the organizational meeting is 4.01, election of the chair. And at this time, um, I'll accept nominations for the chair. And after all nominations have been made, a roll call vote shall be taken with each board member naming the person for whom he or she or they are voting with, uh, voting for. A nominee uh, must receive a majority for of the votes to be elected and roll call will be repeated until the chair is elected. So at this time, I'd like to open the floor for nominations. Mr. Reininger. Thank you, temporary chair Noonan. Uh, <laughs> I'd like to nominate Laura Downs to be chair. Thank you, Mr. Reidinger. Mr. Reidinger has nominated uh, Ms. Downs to be chair. Are there any other nominations from the floor? All right, seeing none. Um, Ms. Downs has been nominated as the chair of the Falls Church City School Board. I will now close the nominations and we'll take roll call vote person by person. Ms. Goodell, would you please read off, please? Uh, yes, so Dr. Dimmick. At this point, you have to name the person. Uh, Laura Downs. Okay. Thank you. Ms. Downs. <laughs> Laura Downs. Okay, Mr. Gould. Laura Downs. Mr. Or uh, Dr. Ortiz. Ms. Downs. Thank you, Mr. Reitinger. Laura Downs. Thank you, Ms. Silverman. Laura Downs. Thank you, and Ms. Tice. Thank you. All right, congratulations, Ms. Downs. Uh, I will now pass you the gavel, which I didn't have the opportunity to bang this year because we started with a closed meeting. Um, but as, as, uh, as I hand this over to you as the chair, you may now proceed with your meeting. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Noonan, and thank you to my colleagues uh, for your confidence and your support, and I really look forward to serving as your chair this year. The next item uh, on our agenda is Section 4.02, Election of Vice, Vice Chair. We will follow the same process that we use for the election of the chair. I will accept nominations of names for Vice Chair. After all nominations have been made, roll call vote shall be taken with each board member naming the person for whom he, she, or they is voting. A nominee must receive a majority of four of the votes to be elected. The roll call vote will be repeated until a vice chair is elected. I'd like to open the floor for nominations for vice chair. Yes, Dr. Dimmick. I would like to nominate Tate Gould for vice chair. Thank you, Dr. Dimmick. Dr. Dimmick has nominated Tate Gould for vice chair. Are there any other nominations from the floor? Dr. Dimmick, or I'm sorry, Mr. Tate Gould has been nominated as the vice chair of the Falls Church City School Board. I will now close nominations and we will take a roll call vote person by person. Ms. Goodell. Uh, yes, Dr. Dimmick. Tate Gould. Thank you. Ms. Downs. Tate Gould. Thank you. Mr. Gould. Tate Gould. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Ortiz. Tate Gould. Thank you. Mr. Reitinger. Tate Gould. Thank you. Ms. Silverman. Tate Gould. Thank you. And Ms. Tice. Tate Gould. Thank you. 
congratulations, Mr. Teekold, as our vice chair. The next item of business is item 4.03. I would like to seek a motion establishing a date, time, and place of regular school board meeting and work sessions. Dr. Dimmick. I move that the Falls Church City School Board establish a schedule of regular meetings on the second Tuesday of each month, beginning at 7 p.m. in the council chambers at City Hall. And, the and establish a schedule of work sessions on the fourth Tuesday of each month, beginning at 7 p.m. at the Central Office Conference Room, Falls Church. Is there a second? Second. Thank you, Mr. Reinger. All those in favor, say aye. 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 Any opposed? Abstentions? Okay, thank you, Ms. Goodell. Motion carries. Okay, now we are on to section 4.04, .04, appointment of school board clerk. I would like to seek a motion for appointment of a school board clerk. Mr. Reidinger. Thank you, Madam Chair. I move that the school board appoint Martha Goodell, clerk of the school board, beginning January 2022. Thank you, Mr. Reidinger. Is there a second? Second. Thank you, Dr. Dimmick. All those in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? Abstentions? Thank you, Ms. Goodell. Motion carries. Thank you, Ms. Goodell. And as always, thank you for your service, Ms. Goodell. Next, we have item 4.05, resolution authorizing school board officials to sign warrants. Dr. Noonan. Did you want to, I'm sorry, did you want to summarize? Uh, the signature of warrants? Yes. Um, it, it essentially authorizes um, me as the, the primary board official to um, sign on behalf of the board if necessary, but also um, you're delegating um, to me and then I am as a secondary to Kristen Michael. Thank you, Dr. Noonan, for that explanation. Are there any questions? Okay. Seeing none, may I have a motion? Mr. Reidinger. Thank you, Chair. I move that the, sorry, I'm in the wrong place. Four be it resolved that according to the provision of section 22.1-122B of the Code of Virginia, Peter Noonan, superintendent, is appointed agent and Kristen Michael, chief operating officer, is appointed deputy agent to examine and approve claims and to sign warrants for the payment thereof. Be it further resolved that the agent and deputy agent shall furnish a surety bond conditioned upon the faithful performance and discharge of the duties assigned to each official under section 22.1-122B in the amount of $100,000 and that the premium therefore shall be paid out of school board funds. Thank you, Mr. Ranger. Is there a second? Second. Thank you, Dr. Dimmick. All those in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? Okay. Thank you. Ms. Goodell? Uh, motion carries. Okay. Our next item of business is 4.06. I would seek a motion to approve as a designee to attend school board meetings in absence of the superintendent. And that again will be Kristen Michael. Dr. Dimmick. 
I move that the school board designate Chief Operating Officer Kristen Michael to attend school board meetings in the absence of the superintendent, effective through December 31st, 2022. Thank you, Dr. Dimmick. Is there a second? Second. Thank you, Mr. Gould. All those in favor say aye. Aye. Any opposed? Thank you, Ms. Goodell. Uh, yes, motion carries. Thank you. And the final item for this organizational section is item 4.07, approval and adoption of the 2022 School Board Code of Civility. I would welcome a motion. Dr. Dimmick. I move that the School Board approve the adoption of the 2022 School Board Code of Civility as presented. Is there a second? Second. Thank you, Mr. Reidinger. All those in favor say aye. Aye. Any opposed? Thank you, Ms. Goodell. Um, and the motion carries. Thank you very much. That concludes the organizational section of this evening's meeting. We will now move on to section five, our spotlight. And I'd like to turn it over to Dr. Noonan. Thank you so much, uh, Chair Downs. Congratulations to you and Vice Chair Gould um, and to the board. That was the first big action that you've taken as new school board members and as a team. So congratulations to all of you. Um, this evening, we have an opportunity to hear about learning recovery. Um, and as we talk about, um, or as you observe this video tonight about learning recovery, um, there will be some terminology that I think you've heard in terms of um, tiered instruction, um, MTSS, multi-tiered systems of support, and the like. And there are a couple of people that are highlighted in the video um, this evening for, the, um, for our spotlight that I want to call out by name. And the first is Dr. Jen Santiago. Um, Dr. Santiago is our Director of ESOL and Equity um, and has done an outstanding job um, working with some of our students who are uh, most in need, and also uh, Ms. Julie Macrina, and Julie is our Director of Pre-K-12 Instruction um, and also has done just an extraordinary job. One of the reasons that we wanted to highlight um, the learning recovery this, this time was uh, as we are making our way through COVID, um, and this actually began prior to COVID, was um, the development of a team in central office under the, under the instruction um, or under the supervision of our chief academic officer, William Bates, to develop some systems of support for students that were not doing well. Um, one of the things that I learned very quickly when I came in several years ago was that um, our teachers do an extraordinary job, um, but a lot of it is sort of catch as catch can. And now we have a very, um, good system that provides uh, warnings around kids. We're looking at data, making decisions about whether or not they need intervention in time um, to support them. And so the two people that I named, um, including um, Mr. Bates, have done an extraordinary job, I think, putting together a real system um, that supports all of our kids. So um, these are two really extraordinary central office people that you'll hear from today. Um, that have that work in their portfolio and have done a really good job. So with that, I'll uh, let Mr. Brett start the video. Thank you. Falls Church City Public Schools is committed to providing equitable educational opportunities for all students. Instruction is student-focused, highly engaging, and relevant, and offers students choice and voice. In May 2020, just a month and a half after COVID forced learning to become all virtual, FCCPS assembled a learning recovery planning team. It was tasked to consider data from the previous year's in-school learning and available data regarding at-home learning and then develop a plan forward. 
The team set about identifying potential unfinished learning updates in students. It then researched and created plans for teacher and leader professional learning to support the implementation of learning recovery. To ensure we meet the needs of all students, especially those disproportionately impacted by school closures or interrupted learning, the plan centered around these six critical areas. Equitable practices, the social-emotional needs of students, curriculum, instruction, assessment, focusing more on deeper learning than rote memorization, and sustained professional development. This is the key to implementing the best instructional practices embedded in the learning recovery plan. Equity remains at the center of the FCCPS learning recovery plan, ensuring students have equitable access and opportunities by providing differentiated access points for those who need it for success. When we think about providing access for students and being equitable, we're really differentiating the work that students have and their access points to their learning in content classes and in extracurriculars. Understanding individual student needs is crucial to developing and implementing appropriate learning experiences. And allows us to use the frame to make sure that all students are getting exactly what they need to be successful and have the best uh, growth potential. Our schools continue to be intentional, proactive, and committed to ensuring that our students' social-emotional learning and mental health needs are addressed comprehensively. These supports are documented in our FCCPS SEL Mental Health Continuum. Developed before the pandemic, this work has now been elevated and accelerated as we help our students and their families address and navigate the after-effects of the global pandemic that we all face together. To minimize the long-term impact of interrupted learning, thoughtful work began to review our curriculum and pacing. FCCPS curriculum leaders continuously use data and learning progressions to revise curriculum pacing guides to reflect the changes or additions needed to fill instructional gaps and unfinished learning. As an IB school division, all instruction is grounded in core principles of the learner profiles embedded in daily instruction across all of our schools. Instruction is delivered through a multi-tiered system of support model. Uh, with that, we have students who receive all their instruction in core, and then in tier two and in tier three, our students that get that extra bit of support that they need to ensure that we are filling all of those gaps that students may need to uh, progress throughout the year. Teams meet regularly at both the school level and central office level. That's super. To discuss okay, student data, learning recovery, level, and instructional implications. We use all available data to ensure we meet all student needs, especially those disproportionately impacted by school closures or interrupted learning. Assessment is a process of data collection that is ongoing. To provide instruction by name and need, we have considered a balance of broader diagnostics with just-in-time formative assessments that inform immediate instructional needs. Finally, Sustained professional development is key to implementing the best instructional practices embedded in the learning recovery plan. Our professional learning occurs uh, oftentimes embedded during meetings uh, throughout the week of school. We've also had professional development on teacher work days uh, before the school year started. 
teachers have the opportunity to select modules and sessions that support their areas of interest, content knowledge, and professional growth. And will continue to be built out as the Learning Recovery Plan is a, a living uh, document that will we'll continue to build out throughout the upcoming years. Through the Falls Church City Public Schools Learning Recovery Plan, our commitment provides the necessary opportunities for intervention and support structures for all students who were negatively impacted by COVID-19. So thank you, um, Chair Downs, for the opportunity to share uh, this evening's um, spotlight on learning. For those uh, new board members that are with us, this is an opportunity at each meeting that we have as a regular meeting uh, where we uh, identify something of interest um, instructionally that keeps us focused and grounded around uh, why we're here. So um, that was the idea behind having um, our spotlight on learning. So unfortunately, um, both uh, Dr. Santiago and, and Ms. Macrina had um, other commitments this evening um, that were uh, in the community, actually, and uh, aren't able to be here. But um, I certainly would be happy to pass on your good wishes to them. Thank you, Dr. Noon. If, if I may, um, if anyone has any questions, I know I always appreciate when we explain to uh, the community what MTSS stands for because we often throw around that acronym and it's a very important acronym, our multi-tiered system support system. So thank you very much for that. Does anyone have any questions? Okay, well, thank you very much, Dr. Noonan, and please thank our, our, pass our thanks on to Ms. McCrina and uh, Ms. Santiago, Dr. Santiago. Uh, we're gonna, we'll now move on to section six, recognitions and reports. I'll turn it over to you, Dr. Noonan. Uh, I'm gonna ask that we perhaps go a little bit out of order um, okay. and go to 6.02 um, before we do 6.01 because those that are on 6.01 aren't here yet. So. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I run a very efficient meeting. We're going very that. quickly, so that's, that's fine. Right. So I will turn it over to you for 6.02, the superintendent's proposed FY23 budget. Okay, um, so, so thank you very much for that opportunity. I'm gonna make my way to the podium. I typically only do one presentation a year from the podium and it's the budget. Um, but as I make my way over there, I will um, also pass off the new <laughs> chair and vice chair placards for your uh, name tag, excuse me. Together here. All right, um, Chair Downs, Vice Chair Gould, uh, members of the school board, and to our leadership team. Um, I know that our principals are on their way um, and are excited to be here as well this evening. But it is a great honor and privilege that I have an opportunity to present this year's superintendent's budget to you. Two years ago at this time, right before COVID, I presented a budget with enthusiasm and gusto that at the time was perhaps the best budget that we had ever put together during the tenure that I had uh, here in the City of Falls Church. Then we all know what happened. In March of 2020, we shut down, the economy began to unravel, and schools as we know it have changed forever. Through the past two years though, we have persevered 
and are on the path for what we hope will be a quick move through the most recent and hopefully last impact of COVID. Last year, we passed a tough budget. Two years ago, it was worse, but it helped us get through. And like two years ago, however, I am back with the same enthusiasm, same excitement, and same gusto around this budget that, we are, that we've prepared for you this evening. I feel a little bit like uh, Top Chef, and I'm about to present you with something and tell you what's on the plate. Um, but before I get into the budget, I wanna get a few things out of the way. First, I wanna thank Michelle Kopik. Uh, Michelle is in the back here, um, our budget director. I'd like to thank Kristen Michael, who have both pulled late nights getting documents together and pulling numbers that you'll see tonight that we're gonna present. Next, I wanna thank you um, to our teachers for their candid feedback and what is needed in the coming year to help move our system forward and support learning for all students. And I wanna thank our site-based leaders in schools, CIA, the, the uh, curriculum instruction and assessment team, and all of the operations for sharing their thoughts about how to develop this year's budget. I share these thank yous in advance because this budget wasn't and hasn't ever been done in isolation. In fact, it goes through rounds of vetting with the leaders of our schools, leaders in our buildings, and a lot of hypothesis testing of ideas before we get to the point where we are tonight. What we've heard from staff was the desire for more compensation and to support and help with working conditions that have been created due to the layer of COVID that requires extra time, effort, and energy that subsequently has taken from planning time, professional time, and ultimately the personal lives of our teachers. Because of the drivers and inputs into this year's 2022 superintendent's budget, I'm excited that we're able to engage in the beauty of and versus the tyranny of or. We've been able to do both. We've been able to increase wages or present a budget that will increase wages for all of our employees and provide deep and a meaningful approach to support staff that we are confident will positively impact working conditions. And again, how do we know that? Because our teachers and staff told us. So in the end, the budget is a narrative, and this year's narrative is a really good one. We have a healthy, recovering local and state economy that allows us and me as the superintendent to do my constitutional duty and share a needs-based budget with the school board for your consideration. While I'm proposing to you this evening, also fall, what I'm proposing to you to this evening also falls within the guidance from the city council based on their meeting at the end of last year. This is a big deal because this will be the fourth year in a row that we've met the spirit of the revenue sharing agreement we worked out several years ago. We've been a great partner to the general government and to the city council on all fronts. And this is just simply another opportunity for us to be a great partner. So tonight represents for all of us the first step in a budget journey that won't actually end until May 17th for the school board. Between now and then, we'll collect collectively be vetting the budget with schools, the community, and students to ensure that every voice that wants to be heard is heard and that the will of the group is evident. And that, to me, is what consensus looks like. Our team looks forward to working alongside the school board and officially welcomes our new four members this evening. While this is a little bit like baptism by fire, the good news is that we're sharing a budget narrative with you where it is all positive 
and our hope is that you will not find this as arduous as your predecessors did when they had to cut millions from the proposed budget two budget cycles ago. So with that, I would like to share with you the 2023 superintendent's budget. So I want to begin um, where, where we left off, essentially, um, and that is with the placemat. And I think everybody here at this point in time has gotten to know what the placemat looks like and know what it stands for. And this has been our collective North Star here in the City of Falls Church Schools for several years. It's been an iterative process for us, but it's really focused around students. And it focuses us around learning, environment, purpose, and culture, and provides for us in some ways a roadmap for success. But as time has gone by over the last several years, things and priorities begin to shift. We get renewed, we learn new information, we get more professional development. And so this last year, we embarked in a, a process that will allow us to strategically plan for the future of the schools here in the City of Falls Church. Many of you in this room have been part of the strategic planning process. And I wanted to put up this graphic this evening just to share with you a little bit about where we are in terms of our strategic planning process going forward, because it does influence this year's proposed budget from the, from the superintendent. We've started with the plan and align. We're now into the, the end of the foundation stage and moving into the design and launch of our new strategic planning process. In fact, tomorrow is a very big day for us. All of the design teams that have been working diligently on the strategic plan are meeting tomorrow to begin putting more form and shape to what our strategic plan will look like as we get down to measures and metrics associated with a strategic plan. As of now, we have had some really great input from our community, and I'm proud to say that we've had over 1,000 individuals who have provided input to us from not just our teacher ranks, our student voice, not, not only our leadership teams, but also our community. And the variety of opportunities that we've provided for feedback has also been extraordinary. We've done online opportunities, we've done face-to-face, We've done lots of different meetings and are very pleased to have the input that we've received so far. So just to give you a sense of where we stand at the moment with a strategic plan is we have landed on a working mission, a working vision, and some core values. And these core values are important to us. And I think they're important to you because we've also done feedback sessions with the board. Um, but what has been fascinating to me is that our mission and our vision hasn't substantively changed, but it's gotten much tighter and much leaner, and in many ways speaks to who we are better than the last mission and vision statement. What you'll see in the core values are important, and again, it, it is influencing our budget process going forward. Looking at academic success and what that means, remaining student-centered, thinking about inclusion and belonging, being responsive and accountable, and community, thinking about our community and connection. And what's fascinating to me as we've gone through this process is that I'm not sure pre-COVID that these would have been the same as they are as we make our way through COVID. And when I look at this, for example, and I think about inclusion and belonging, it really speaks to the nature and needs of our, our mental health issues that we're facing with our students. When we look at community and connections, we're thinking about really strong communication strategies and the like and being responsive and being accountable to our community. Not that we didn't have that before, but I'm not sure that it would have risen to the level of it being such a, a strong core value 
as it is now. And I think that all of these, as they emerge, are extraordinary. Underneath each of those, um, we get into some areas of focus. And these have become the areas that we've really dug into um, to think about what will this look like in terms of now and over the next three, next five years. And so you'll see things like IB-infused teaching and learning, inclusion, belonging, and wellness, resource management and continuous improvement, communication and engagement, and investing in our people. So we met this afternoon, as a matter of fact, with our strategic planning team, and we're excited to say that we are on pace for an update to the board in February, and also following up an update in March, and then we are hoping for the rollout of our new strategic plan, at least at the top level, in April, that will reflect all of the goals and all of the values that have come through in this very broad and um, inclusive community process. So with that, let me, let me start with this year. The highlight has to be <laughs> the new high school. Um, we, it, it's gotten a little bit lost in the era of COVID, um, which is hard to believe because we built a $120 million high school on time and under budget during, um, during COVID. But I want to thank the school board. I want to thank the city council and our community for your continued investments in our schools. Without the support of our community, without the support of the board and the general government and city council, we wouldn't be where we are today, which is having a very beautiful, highly functional school um, that is meeting the needs of all of our kids. Um, and, and when we say on time and under budget, we did move in this time last year. You might remember December 29th of, la of two years ago, or last year, two years ago, uh, we made the big move of all the stuff into the new high school, and then in January we opened, and being under budget, we are returning $100,000 of unspent funds to the city council. So this is our approved revenue and approved expenditures from last year. And this is a, uh, these are pie charts that we show every year that are really important, I think, to the school board and to our community to know where does the money uh, not only come from, but where does it go? And there are three main pots of money that we receive funding from. And the first is, and the, first is the largest, and it is our local government. And our local governing body that, that provides us with money is the city council. Um, right now, we receive, this, this year, we've received 81.5% of our funding for our schools from the, from the city council. About 14.71% came from the state. And then there is a small percentage of funding that comes from federal dollars, about 1.13%. The rest of the funding and the rest of the revenue comes from year-end balance from the prior year and some other fees and the like. So knowing where that money comes from, our local government, our state government, and some from federal government, really provides us with a, a, a tapestry, if you will, that we can pull on to then utilize for our spending. So then when you go over to the expenditure side of the chart, you'll see um, we are a people organization. Schools are and always have been rooted in people. So when we talk about reductions, there are not many places that we can go for reductions because the vast majority of our expenditures to the tune of almost 86% are in our teachers and in our, in our people. So you'll see salaries re represent 63% and our benefits represents roughly 23%. And then there are some additional uh, costs and expenditures there with respect to contracted services, material supplies, utilities, travel, rental, capital replacement, and then some transfers and reserves. So I want to hit um, enrollment just very quickly. We've been through this in work sessions. We've had a couple of conversations about it. 
Um, as you know, um, our enrollment this year, um, we had multiple options to select from, from the Weldon Cooper, um, Weldon Cooper Group at the University of Virginia, and we ended up this year with a variance from last year of 14 less students, and that's actually changing by the day. We just got four new students in this week, um, so we're actually down 10 from last year. But we didn't meet our projections, uh, meaning that we're 103 students short from what we thought we were going to have coming into this year. That being said, we did bounce back to um, pre-COVID uh, enrollment numbers um, and are looking forward to continuing to grow into the future. So here's some enrollment information from the region just to give you some context. Um, you'll see school year over school year from 2019, 2020, 2020, 21, and 2022. Uh, in 1920, we actually grew by 1.1%. The following year, during COVID, we dropped by 5.6%, which was highest, highest in the region. Um, we have some theories about why that is, and the primary theory is that we are a wealthy community, and parents in our community can afford to pull their students out and to homeschool them or to hire somebody and pod and have students in their house. That being said, we, as I just mentioned in the last slide, we have bounced back to our pre-recession number, or pre-COVID number, excuse me, and we are down 0.3% this year, um, which is much more in line with what um, we would expect given the current circumstances. So with that, I just wanna share where are the students, um, particularly those that are receiving special services, because this is where we see oftentimes a significant flux in our enrollments. So our economically disadvantaged students, these are the students that are on free and reduced lunch, um, as, has changed by 2.4%. So last year we had 200, this year we have 195 that are on free and reduced lunch. This number is a little bit fuzzy, and I'll be completely transparent about that, and that is because this year, uh, due to some changes in the federal government regulations, we offer free lunch to everybody. So it wasn't completely necessary for someone to go through the paperwork to be able to receive free lunch. So if that changes at the federal level, we'll have a better sense, but right now, um, we know we have about, about 200 students that are on free and reduced lunch. Our students with disabilities this last year actually has gone up. We have 16 more students. Um, I've mentioned this before and I'll mention it again. The City of Falls Church is a destination district for students with disabilities, primarily from State Department um, and, and diplomatic students. And the reason for that is we have an extraordinary special services department and with us tonight is Rebecca Sharp. Um, although she may be known for, as the Empress of COVID, she also runs our student services organization and does a great job with special education. Um, so we did grow in, in students with disabilities this last year. Um, you'll note that um, last year, uh, we, we lost a significant number of students to homeschool and students that were out for religious exemptions. Um, we went from 23 in 1920 to 69 students in 2021, and we have returned to 35, which is a difference of 34 from last year meaning that we've returned essentially to pre-COVID conditions in terms of homeschool students and those that are out for religious exemptions. And then our English speakers of other languages hasn't changed. We still have 115 students that are level one, two, three, or four in our ESOL program. So in terms of projected enrollment, um, what we're thinking about for next year essentially, and this, these data come from the Weldon Cooper Center from the University of Virginia, this is also the same group that identifies what numbers are gonna look like across the state so that when the legislature um, does sales tax and um, distributes sales tax, they also use the Weldon Cooper Center. So it's a relatively 
um, well-vetted organization that has a very good track record of being accurate. Obviously, during COVID, I think all bets are off, and we're sort of doing the best we can with the numbers that we have. Um, but that said, um, we are using Weldon Cooper. Um, they look at recent um, decline in births in the city and the region, um, which has made it very difficult, I think, in, in terms of projecting what enrollment's gonna look like in the long term. They have noticed a, a significant slowdown in families moving to the division after 2016. And in the long term, the projected um, projections expect births to rise later in the dec decade, which will help push our enrollment up. All of that being said, we also don't know what's gonna happen with the economic development that's happening in the community, and we anticipate that we are going to get some enrollment from there as well. However, that being said, we are taking a very conservative approach this year to our enrollment. So Weldon Cooper gave us three different levels of opportunity to select from. Um, one was a short term, one was a medium term, and one was a long term look at growth. Um, knowing that uh, last year we missed the mark um, by selecting the mid-range point from Weldon Cooper, we decided to take, as I said, a more conservative approach this year, and we'll be looking at the short term. So our short-term projection for next year is that we're actually going to lose enrollment um, by, by 16 students. Um, again, I don't anticipate that's going to happen, but I would much rather um, come up over students as opposed to having less students than we projected. And I think part of that is a consequence of our projections from last year. So we are going to be very conservative on our projections. So the proposed revenue, um, and this is where the story of our budget begins to get really good, um, because our proposed revenue budgets um, are looking very, very solid going forward. So first and foremost, I want to, uh, again, talk about the strong partnership that we have between the school board and the city council and the community for investing in our schools. Um, as I mentioned before, for the past three years, the city um, of Falls Church Schools has fallen within the guidance of the revenue sharing and within the revenue sharing spirit of the agreement that we developed several years ago, um, and this year is no different. And again, through the great work of everybody, we were able to collaborate um, on this new high school, an adjacent economic development center that actually will pay for the vast majority of the high school, and we're excited about that. So when the city council and the school board met, um, following that meeting, the City Council's budget guidance from December 13th was um, pretty, um, not completely clear. So we went back to um, the videos of the, of the meeting, um, and what we heard was that the projection um, itself was going to be somewhere between 6.3% to 7%, sort of a range uh, for um, use of funds. And part of the reason for that uh, range was because the city council is also looking at finding a way to reduce the tax burden on our locality. Um, but at the same time, the city council's guidance and your guidance as a school board for us was to really look at employee compensation. And that makes a lot of sense because that's also what our employees told us. We want you to look at compensation and help us through this really difficult time. So when we think about the combination of about 6.3% growth to 7% growth plus employee compensation, um, we are, are fairly confident that we're going to be able to do that and more um, based on, on what we've seen come in. So in terms of local, uh, local funding, based on the preliminary forecast that was provided to us um, earlier uh, last, or late, late last year, the organic growth in the City of Falls Church at this point is roughly 8.4%. 
That's incredible growth for a locality um, in, a, in a year to be looking at that. We're very excited about that um, and, and really look forward to doing some, some great work with, with some of the money from the growth. Um, we also know that there are some other forces at play that we need to pay attention to. And the first is that we have a new governor that will take office um, in about a week, and that governor-elect uh, that's coming in has made a promise to eliminate the grocery tax. If that grocery tax is eliminated for the City of Falls Church, that represents a, re a very significant cut to our revenue. So knowing that um, it, the likelihood is high that the grocery tax is going to be cut, um, we have built our budget based on that elimination, that assumption in the budget, which leaves us with 6.3% um, transfer, um, or about 5.5 million to split between the general government and the schools. So um, we're, we are excited about that um, possibility. We are not about the possibility of the elimination of the grocery tax, but the elimination of the possibility to have the 6.3% at minimum to work with. And so that represents for the schools about $2.75 million. In addition to that, um, there's a good news story at the state level. So we've got local good news because our, our, our um, organic growth has gone up significantly. But the state is not immune to good growth either. And what we know from the state of Virginia is that um, our accounts um, for state aid are gonna go up relatively significantly. Um, and most of that is due to some compensation funding that was included in the governor's budget. Um, the governor is, is proposing a 5% increase uh, in uh, teacher salary and did put some money in there for that. Now that's a match between the state and the locality um, in addition to that, there's some hold harmless funds in there that we've talked about previously for loss of enrollment and also for rebenchmarking. And then there is some money in there in case there is an elimination of the grocery tax. It doesn't make us complete and it doesn't make us whole, but it's better than uh, what we anticipated it was going to be. So we see that our state aid from uh, the Commonwealth of Virginia looks to um, likely increase by $527,000. In addition to that, our sales tax, as I was mentioning, has gone up 13.9% in the state for a total of uh, over $3 million. And so we are looking at about a $422,000 increase in sales tax that will be coming from the state. Now, the state budget, this is going to be an interesting year because we have um, a new governor. So we have a governor's budget, and then we'll have the, the um, legislative budget um, both the House of Delegates and the Senate, and then there'll be a new governor's budget. And so we'll see what comes out the other side. But typically, when we get into situations like this, as we talk with our colleagues around the state, is that these numbers are, are pretty good. And if uh, anything were to happen to these numbers, they may actually increase, um, looking at the sales tax going forward. And we're very excited about that. So some other revenues. So those are the two big revenue pots, right? The local and then our state. And the other pot that we look at is our federal funding. And unfortunately, our federal funding, which is primarily responsible for our special ed, IDEA, Title I, Title II, Title III, um, and the like, is actually decreasing by about $20,000. Um, in our beginning balance, we always um, put forward about $450,000 from the prior year to help us with offsetting some costs. This year, we'll put $450,000 in again, so there's no change zero, that's why the zero is there from the year prior. And in, in terms of other revenues, those other revenues come from tuitions, fees, stop barn cameras, 
and the like. And um, we do budget about $841,000 for that. And there won't be any change in that as either. Um, so we'll, we'll maintain that same uh, budget going forward. That's why there's a zero. So in terms of proposed budget revenue, and this is where um, you'll see our bottom line. Um, again, we rely very heavily on the local economy to help take care of our schools, and we're very appreciative to our community for shopping locally and eating locally. Um, and local revenue combined with um, funding from the state accounts for about 96.5%. But I'll note that our bottom line on the screen that we have to start with is $3,680,777. And that's about as good as I've seen it ever in my uh, tenure here in the City of Falls Church. So we have a really good news budget story on our hands. So let me talk about the proposed budget expenditures. And this is where, uh, this is kind of where it gets fun. We get to talk about how we're, gonna, how we're proposing to spend our money. Um, so let me start with our investments. Um, as I've mentioned before, and I'll mention it again, one of the things we heard loudly and clearly from our teachers and our staff were that we would like to have compensation looked at for all of us. And so the first place we went was to compensation. And we're spending about $2,700,000 2, on compensation. The next thing our teachers told us is we also need some help, and our staff told us is we also need some help in terms of working conditions. Is there anything that you can do to help us um, be more efficient in our work, get back to the work that we're trying to accomplish, teaching our kids as opposed to doing some of these other things that have been layered on because of COVID? And so what we've been able to do is earmark just over a million dollars for taking care of some of those working conditions that have become disruptions to our teachers and for learning for our kids. And the last is about $363,000 in school investments. And these are essentially maintenance of effort kinds of things that we need to take care of. They're ongoing uh, payments that we make, but also takes care of some inflationary uh, costs that we have going forward. So let me start with employee compensation. Um, this has been and continues to be our highest priority for many reasons. One is um, we want a well-paid workforce, and we also know that because we have a well-paid workforce, it's going to help us with recruiting, it's going to ultimately help us with retention, um, and both of those right now in particular, as we see the great, uh, the, the, um, I forget exactly what the terminology is, but it's essentially the great resignation happening in public education. Um, and, and there's been many articles that have been written about it. Teachers and administrators are leaving, the, leaving school divisions in droves. We want to we fight against that. And one of the ways that we can fight against that is providing really good compensation to our employees. And this year's budget, I believe, does that. So the first thing you'll see is that we are proposing a step increase for all eligible employees. That's sort of the deal. You come into the public education field, you come in with a degree, we have a step in grade system for every year that you're here, you move up the step, uh, you move up to the next step. So that is a basic um, piece of our budget that we start with each year. So we have $955,000 in there for that step for all eligible employees. But in addition to that, <clears throat> we are looking at doing a restorative step. And that restorative step is for all of our staff who would have been eligible for a step in 2021 when our economy went south and we, as a school system, had to go back to our proposed budget and cut it by millions of dollars because we weren't going to get the transfer that we were expecting from the general government because of what was happening across the city. 
So those teachers that hung with us, that have been coming through this pandemic, that would have been eligible for a 2021 step, we'd like to go back and do a restorative step for those folks um, to make them whole for that year that they didn't get their step increase. And that will cost us about $645,000. The reason that it's less is because we do have some people that didn't stay with us. Um, and so we are able to provide, we've gone employee by employee, uh, and we know exactly uh, who will get the step and who won't, and we're gonna be providing that information to staff in the week to come. Um, in addition to those, the, the step and the restorative step, we are also proposing that we do a 2% cost of living adjustment. There's a couple of reasons why we wanna do a cost of living adjustment. One is um, certainly we wanna help our employees with inflationary issues that they're facing. 2% doesn't get us to the inflation rate that I think we're gonna be seeing but it's a good start um, in addition to the steps. Um, but the other thing that a cost of living adjustment does is it changes our salary scales and helps us continue to be competitive with other divisions. If all we did was a step each year, our salary scale would never change. So by raising our cost of living by 2%, it actually raises every position by 2% as well. So our starting teachers will be paid 2% more the first year they're in the system. Our 15-year teacher will get paid more um, as they move through the system. And that 2% cost of living adjustment will cost us about $788,000 to be able to do that. In addition to um, employee compensation, we are planning for a 10% increase in healthcare costs. That is something that our healthcare provider, uh, healthcare provider has given us to use as a, a placeholder for the employee and uh, employer rate, um, rate addition. However, if for some reason that rate does come in lower, um, that is one area where we are committed to looking at taking some of the money if there is a reduction and pouring it towards an additional cost of living percentage or a portion of a percentage. So uh, as an example of that, last year we were able to come out during the superintendent's proposed budget with a 1% cost of living adjustment. And at the end of the budget cycle, we were able to give a 1.5% cost of living adjustment because there were some other things that shook out in the budget during that process. So this would be one of those things that we'll watch very closely and any savings that comes from that would be poured towards an additional cost of living adjustment. We are not gonna see any changes in the Virginia retirement system. Um, some of you may know that the uh, Virginia Retirement Trust, um, their actuarials came together and said we are recommending to um, the governor that uh, there be a decrease in the Virginia retirement system costs. Um, his budget that came out um, did, not rep, uh, did not represent that reduction. Um, my hope is that in the next budget cycle, that any surplus that the state may have may go into the VRS trust, which ultimately would bring our percentage uh, down, which is a long-term savings for the school division. And we're hopeful that we'll um, see some of that coming down the line. So that takes care of the employee compensation portion of um, the proposed budget. I wanna move into now the working conditions piece. Um, and again, this is where the beauty of Anne versus the tyranny of or comes in. We've heard from teachers we want compensation. We've heard from other teachers we need some relief in the classrooms and in our schools. We need, we've heard from staff the same thing. Well, the good news is because of the outlook, the fiscal forecast, not only locally, but at the state, we're gonna be able to do both in this proposed budget. So let me start with um, some additional positions. Um, we are looking at adding a career and technical education teacher at the high school to work in our, um, and also serve as a high school program coordinator 
um, within the, the sustainability programming process. Um, we have a grassroots uh, group of teachers who have taken up the mantle to create a sustainability academy at our high school that is perking along. The curriculum is being developed. We've been in great conversations with Arlington County and also Fairfax City. Um, we have the new facilities that supports it, and our teachers have just done an extraordinary job talking with kids, talking with other teachers, thinking about sustainability. And we're at a critical point where if we want that, that program to continue to grow and to um, sort of take root and, and blossom, we're going to need a position there to do that. Career and technical education, as you know, is a, is a focus area, not only for the Commonwealth of Virginia, but also for our schools. It provides many students an opportunity to do things, some things that are maybe different, more exciting. And when we talk about power and energy and greening um, and sustainability, this is something that our kids are getting really excited about. And part of the reason is because of who's behind it. Um, and so I just want to call out by name Carrie Pollack, Ray Ruor, and also Kenny George for their incredible work on developing this um, sustainability program. In addition to that, we are extending um, the next line at $28,993, extending three teacher contracts to 11 months. Uh, the vast majority of our teachers are on 10-month contracts. And one of the things that I've been interested in and we've been interested in for a long time is how do you differentiate um, teacher leadership? And one of the ways that we can differentiate teacher leadership for going above and beyond and working um, into the summer and doing some things is to provide a teacher leadership extension of a contract. So these represent the first three contracts that we are extending to 11 months for the extraordinary work of some of our teachers. We also know um, that at the high school level, um, and there are a couple of places that we need some instructional support, um, both at the high school, well, across the system, really, in mathematics. One of the things that the data has shown us as we've gone back through and looked at where some of our gaps are coming out of the pandemic is in the area of mathematics. So what we are talking about in this next line item is at Meridian High School, a math instructional support position that's currently half-time and moving that to a full-time. And that's a teacher position, um, but that teacher position moves into a coaching position where they're working with other teachers and supporting them in the classroom and helping them by being another body um, and working on those best practices. The next is a math intervention um, position at Mount Daniel and at Oak Street. Currently, we have two half-time positions there, one at each school. Um, half-time, and we are, we are proposing that we round those out to full-time positions, that those two positions of support, again, will be more hands in the classroom um, and more opportunities for teachers to grow in their craft um, and having folks that are engaged in best practices, working with others on best practices is the best professional development we can have as we move forward as a system. Um, some of you may have heard um, there has been some concern, particularly at the middle school, around um, some of our teachers teaching an extra period, um, which is limiting their capacity to be able to plan with others and to be able to do uh, any kind of personal planning as well. And so we are adding a position at the middle school uh, that would be a math science position that would eliminate that need for any of our teachers to teach the additional teaching position. And again, it's about giving our teachers an opportunity to come back and to do the work that needs to be done, but also to meet with their colleagues and have planning time for themselves. We have a growing need uh, for um, extra support with some of our students who um, speak other languages. Um, we have a really terrific parent liaison, Erica Zabalos, um, who works with us and also started the Family Resource Center 
at Oak Street that many of you are familiar with. Um, Erica has been overwhelmed with the number of students that we have to serve. And so we're proposing a half-time position for parent liaison that would serve the secondary campus. And we believe that that would be the, the right length of contract for someone at that secondary campus based on the numbers. But this would be someone who would allow us then to be able to have more engagement between home and school. The next is something that um, is, is near and dear to many of the hearts of our principals, who I think are behind me at this point. I'm afraid to turn around. Hi. Um, and near and dear to their hearts, uh, as well as when I mentioned it at peak, there was a lot of resonance as well among our teachers, and that is a permanent substitute in every school. Um, in a former system that I was in, we were able to do that where someone was hired um, at the school site and they were assigned there permanently. They became part of the staff. So if a teacher had to go out for an IEP meeting or a teacher had to cover another class or had to go somewhere with a student, you could call quickly on that permanent sub to be available to pop around and be in any of the classrooms at any time. So there's a couple of things that that allows us to do. One is it, it, because that person's part of the staff, Beget, excuse me, gets to understand the culture and climate of the school, under, understands and builds relationships with the families that they're serving in that school, um, but also eliminates the need for some of the part-time substitute issues that we're experiencing across the system. So by putting in a permanent substitute in every school, we really feel like that will help relieve some of those stressors that our teachers are facing. Additionally, we are looking at providing two hours of additional staff supervision at Mount Daniel and at Oak Street to cover recess. Um, I think Tim and Paul are probably back there um, jumping up and down. Um, and part of that is that our teachers are covering recess at those schools and we'd like to relieve those teachers from covering recess and put in some things in place that will allow them to get back to planning and working with our students. Um, and, and in terms of planning and, and working with our students, one of the things that we know has been missing, and it's a function of um, COVID. This is not a, an experience that I've ever had, um, and that is that our teachers are not getting adequate, I think, or meaningful enough professional development. We're doing a lot of great work in the system, um, but there's additional things that our staff really are desiring to get better at their craft, to get better at their content. And so we have put in an additional $100,000 for post-COVID professional development for our teachers so that they can build their craft and build their school uh, skills as really great teeter, teachers. Um, the next is at Jesse Thackeray Preschool. Um, we are looking at three teacher leader stipends um, and these stipends would be much like EPEDs or extra pay for extra duties, um, but $3,800 for reading, a math, and a summer child find teacher leader. Some additional pieces around working additions um, is a, another school nurse. Um, we are very fortunate through the VISTA program and the state to have been able to hire a second uh, nurse in our system. We would very much like to keep a second nurse in our system for a number of reasons. One is um, once we are past COVID, we still have many kids that have multiple allergies. Accessing a nurse is really important. Um, and we, uh, we also know that there is a push across the state to get one nurse in every building. Based on the size of our schools and the size of our district, at this point, we don't feel like we need one in every building, but we do believe we need two. And so we, this would be a second school nurse for us, and we would contract through Fairfax um, Health Department to get that person. Um, thinking about the mental health issues that our students are experiencing, continuing to pour resources towards 
improving our counseling services, improving threat assessment services, thinking about support of students and evaluations for those students that are in crisis is really important. So we are adding a school psychologist in the budget. Um, we also know that that will relieve some of our classroom teachers uh, from dealing with a lot of the things that they're having to deal with so that they can get one more set of hands or one more person that they can get some support from. Um, I, I know Dang Nguyen was here earlier. Um, the next uh, item, is he behind me? There he is. Um, I'm afraid to look back. It's like church or something. Um, but one of the things we do know is that through the process of going to online, it exposed some of the things that we need to improve on <coughs> as, a, uh, as a school system and through technology. And one of the things that um, Dang needs some support in is, is getting a systems engineer in here that can help us with system-wide technology, um, not only with students, but with staff devices as well. <coughs> the next item is a tech educator. Um, at um, all of our schools, with the exception of Meridian, we have a tech educator. Um, some of you may be familiar with Elaine O'Neill or Mr. D at Oak Street. Um, anyway, each of those schools, including um, Henderson, have a tech educator. Uh, Meridian does not. So we are looking at adding another tech educator um, to round that out for all of our schools. Um, and we're excited about that possibility. Um, some more um, funding will be used for what we're calling school investments. And again, these are some things that um, we believe that will not only help us now, but will be long, good long-term investments for us uh, into the future. And the first is at the preschool. Um, through some of our COVID funding, we were able to support additional time for a registrar um, and clinic support through an adjustment in our um, FTE. And so what we'd like to do is make that permanent. And we can, do, we can make that permanent by adding about $30,000 to the budget. Um, we are looking at some equipment and technology equipment and services uh, for our network, an additional $30,000. We have a couple of more slots that are available to us for Thomas Jefferson for the high school, Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology. Um, and if we use all of those slots, then we will need to have the additional $76,000 to pay for those slots. And so we want to have that money in the budget uh, in case that is taken up. Um, additionally, we are looking for additional maintenance support. Uh, for our vehicles. We are um, one, unfortunately, one transmission away from um, having to double bus run. Um, and as we're getting some new buses on site that are electric, we know that we're going to need some additional vehicle support. And so um, in the maintenance shop, we, we'd like to get a 0.25 addition there. And then we do have $209,000 for additional inflationary adjustments um, that, need to be, that need to be made. So um, in addition to everything we're spending, we also are taking some reductions. Uh, we have made some adjustments to the current budget for next year. Um, and um, each year, Mr. Reitinger um, asks us the question, um, can't we just do the step with salary lapse? And we're really close uh, for the, for the um, restorative step. So this year, um, looking at our salary files, we've been able to save $400,000 in salary lapse um, that we will be able to utilize uh, for something else in our budget. Um, additionally, we are getting out of the transitional retirement program that started in 2002-2003 um, that has been slowly and steadily phasing out. Um, and so our reduction in costs for that program will be about $94,000 for next fiscal year. And then we do have some um, city retirement folks on our staff, so all of our Bus drivers, custodians, and the like participate in the city retirement program, not through the Virginia retirement system. Um, and that city retirement system actually 
saw a reduction in the need for, um, for payment to the tune of $1,830. So then we look at um, some one-time funds. And this is an interesting year for us. Um, something happened that hadn't happened before. And that is in the governor's budget this year, there was some one-time funding that was put in specifically for uh, facilities. And so at our work session recently, we were talking about um, using some funding to do some improvements at Oak Street to develop a secure vestibule and make it more ADA accessible up in the front of the school. When the budget was presented by um, Ralph Northam, there was $1.262 million in the budget that's specifically earmarked for school facilities. Um, and so we are going to use that money to support um, the work at Oak Street going forward and are very excited about that. Additionally, we have $600,000 in one-time funding that we're gonna use in combination with some ARPA money and some other money um, to replace all of the HVAC units on the roof at Mary Ellen Henderson. Um, we have put in the budget $300,000 as a line item placeholder uh, in case the school board decides to move forward or begin the exploration of collective bargaining, the vast majority of those fund funds would be expended for um, legal services. And then we have $100,000 additional in the budget for textbooks. This is the year for world languages, and that's an additional $100,000 to what's already been earmarked for our world languages adoption. So that is the longest list of items I've been able to share in my, this is my fifth budget presentation for the city schools um, I've ever been able to share. And, and I am really enthusiastic. I don't know if you can tell, <laughs> but I'm really enthusiastic about this budget uh, and really like where we're headed. So um, let, me, let me sort of break it down one last time for you, um, just so you can kind of see in a nutshell what it looks like. Um, this is the budget expenditures. Um, on the uh, right-hand side, uh, or all the way through. So we are expending, this is everything I was just talked about, $3.68 million. And then um, this is what it looks like when you look at that pie chart again. Again, we are, we are heavy in people. Um, we are a people organization. 86% of our budget is spent on employee compensation, and that's where it should be. Because this is a relational organization where we work with, with kids and kids work with us and we work with families. And the only way we can do that is through, um, through those relationships and through people. So the budget summary looks like this. Um, if you look at um, the proposed budget, the revenue adjustments of 3.68 and then the expenditures at 3.68, it magically balances, which we're really excited about. Um, so if you look at those three major pots of funding, federal, state, and um, general government, and then if you look at the bottom, which is employee compensation, working conditions, school reinvestments, reductions and realignments. So one point of clarification that you might um, wonder about is on the left-hand side, it says that our proposed budget is a 6.8% uh, increase from FY22. That is not a typo. Um, we are getting a 6.3% uh, of the funding additionally will come from the general government and an additional 0.5% of our bu uh, budget will come from the state uh, and with a little bit less from the federal government. So our overall increase is 6.8%. So it's not just what we got from the, what we're hoping to get from the city council. So um, ending with uh, a couple of things, you know, one is the high school project. I, I know I keep harping on that, um, but it is something that we're incredibly proud of um, to come in on time and on, on budget. 
But a couple of things that I want to I want to point out in this slide in particular, and the first is that um, a, a big thanks to the general government. The general government, when they negotiated the bond pricing, um, they were able to come in with some direct savings through some um, really good work that they did on the finance side. When when the high school went to bond, um, for those of you that were in the city at the time, you know that when it went to bond. Um, we all agreed that if the bond passed, that there was a projected increase uh, of the tax rate of seven cents. And we all agreed that we were gonna pass the bond with the seven cents increase. What's been interesting is that the tax rate has actually gone the opposite way. Um, so as, as um, unlikely as it is, we didn't have to raise taxes in the city, we're still meeting our bond obligations, we built the high school on time, we're on budget, and we are proposing a 6.8% increase in our school funding for this coming year. So again, it's an incredibly good news story. Um, things are, are really positive, um, and we're very excited about, again, the, the way we're headed. So as I mentioned before, my mandate is to provide to you, uh, our school board, um, constitutionally bound by this, to provide a, uh, a budget that is needs-based, um, and I think that's what I've done tonight is prepared for you um, a budget that meets the needs of everyone, right? It meets the, uh, the needs for compensation. It meets the needs for programmatic and working conditions issues that we're experiencing. And it also meets the needs of our long-term growth and development. Um, it reflects, I believe, um, the highest priorities and invests ultimately in our students and our staff. Um, and our request for, again, the fourth time in a row falls within the organic growth that's been designated to us from the City Council, so we continue to be really good uh, team players with our partners. So I'll leave you with a couple of things. The first is the budget calendar. Um, as I mentioned before, this is sort of a long road going forward. Um, there's a lot of iterations, so um, tonight you'll see up there on January 11th the superintendent's proposed budget. We'll have our first budget work session on January 25th. Um, and that is the night that we start to get into the deep questions about the budget. We start to peel some things back. You all have an opportunity to ask some questions that, um, that dig a little deeper. Um, and so once we have that work session, um, we'll have a public hearing and um, at the same time, uh, another budget work session on Tuesday, February 8th. Um, then the CIP will go to the Planning Commission, we'll come back on the 22nd and have another budget work session. And at that point, um, after those three work sessions, you all will, will then adopt your advertised budget. It's not the final budget, but it's the advertised budget. So, this, so then what happens is the budget moves from the superintendent's proposed to your advertised. And then once that goes into the advertised uh, process, you all will go, uh, our new chair, uh, Ms. Downs will go before the City Council um, and do a presentation uh, along with the City Manager. Um, there'll be some work sessions on the, on the general government side, uh, and then the general government will do their final adoption of an ordinance on or around May 9th. And then on May 17th, you all will come back and we will have a final meeting on the budget. And at that point, if there are any adjustments that need to be made, we'll make those adjustments uh, at that time. But I, all of that to say that we still have a long way before we're home with this. Um, and there's a lot of opportunities in here for not only um, input from constituents and from teachers, but also an opportunity for all of you to ask some questions as well. 
So what I'm asking uh, of you around the budget questions is sort of the process that we've used in the past that I think is very transparent, um, a very honest approach. Um, and that is that you, you please send me directly um, questions that you may have one week prior to our work session. If you get those to us one week prior to the work session, we can get them answered so that when we get to the work session, we'll have them answered. What we'll do is we will number all of those questions. We'll put them in uh, to a document uh, as we answer them. And at those routine work sessions and uh, the like, we will, we will answer those questions for you. Um, we will also post those on the website. And I want to thank John Brett for his incredible work. We always have a really great budget website. Um, and we've already got some documents up there uh, for this year's budget. Again, um, really focused in on making sure that we're completely transparent with how we're spending our money, where we're getting our money, and then questions that you all may have as we move forward. So um, with that, I want to say thank you. <laughs> and I want to thank our principals for being here. Um, really an incredible team of people um, right over my right shoulder who has done extraordinary work on behalf of um, our students and our community for keeping schools open in a really difficult time. Um, but this, I, I think, really um, has given us an opportunity to craft uh, a reflexive and thoughtful um, budget document for your uh, consideration. So with that, um, Madam Chair, I will end my presentation. Um, we are certainly open to questions tonight, perhaps at a high level. Um, I think one of the things we'd like to maybe take a moment in is to sort of not bask in the glow, but um, certainly be excited about the possibilities, knowing that, again, this is the um, best budget that we've had in uh, at least five years. And so we're really excited. You can't see the expression on my face, <laughs> but we are really excited about the possibilities. So with that, um, happy to answer any, any high-level questions you might have. Thank you, Dr. Noon. I, I share, I'm sure I speak for everyone. We're, we're all very excited. And it's a great time to be on the school board when we have this sort of budget um, to look at. So does anyone have any more high level? We'll, we'll be getting into the real, you know, digging into the details at our next meeting. But if anyone has any high level questions, Mr. Reidinger. Thank you, Madam Chair. I, I, uh, these may not be high level questions, but I'm happy to just throw them out now for discussion at the work session. Sure. Um, First off, my thanks to you, Dr. Noonan, and to the staff for um, what is clearly an exhaustively researched and well-prepared budget. Um, I had, you know, I, I always come into these things waiting for sort of the shoe to drop, and the shoe didn't drop, which was nice. Um, and the, you know, the, the, the ideas including um, <clears throat> paying for additional playground supervision, you know, I know from when my own kids went through, that's going to be, I think, super positive. And so, um, those are those are very targeted and I think well considered. Um, I, I I do think you know it's it is a good news story where we've got revenue increasing and we aren't <coughs> facing skyrocketing employment, but uh, there are a lot of cutbacks that took place um, and the the governor's uh, removal of the grocery tax is putting going to put more pressure on us so that we can't do everything that, that we would like to do. So um, it's still a tight budget, it's just a less tight than we're used to, and that's a, that's a great thing. Um, so I'll, I'll enjoy that, but you know, it's, it's just some additional challenges as well. Sure. The three things I wanted to, to ask you about or to discuss at the work session. Um, the first is, I agree very much that the restoration of the missing step is the right thing to do. As I think I've said, 
at every budget session for, for a few years now. You know, it, it's part of our contract with our teachers that we ought to give a step every year. And so we ought to give a step every year. And if we don't, then we need to go back and fix it. So I'm fully on board with that. Um, I will say that the, the cost of living increase of 2% still feels too low to me. Um, and I know, I say the thing, I, I can't point to anything uh, elsewhere in the budget. I say, well, that's some fat we should cut, right? So I, I don't have any suggestions for that other than to say that if, if the transfer is more than 6.3%, if it gets more towards 7%, um, or if we early on see the salary lapse, I mean, I, I, I hope it's going to be more than $400,000, we'll get more savings, that we as soon as possible put that into perhaps getting a 3% or something more or something 2.5% of a COLA, because inflation is going to be more than 3%. Um, the second question I've got is around professional development. Um, I think we, we went through a period, as, as you know, you caught sort of the tail end of it where, but where sat or, uh, resources were not increasing at nearly the same rate as employment. And every year we were going through and we were cutting back on different things. And I think professional development took a big hit there. Uh, I think we need to invest in our teachers and our staff. $100,000 makes sense to me, but that's sort of a free-floating number. Um, I, I'd like to know if there are any comparisons we could look to in terms of how much we send for, spend on professional development. Um, at other, and I don't mean, you know, with, with smaller school systems that don't have the same capability we do, but, you know, for the school systems that are really investing and in growing their workforce, I want to make sure we're competitive with them and that we're, we're giving all our staff the opportunity to grow as much as possible. So, that's a, you know, again, obviously we all want more. I'd love to be able to say, you know, we actually need to, based on data, to grow that to 200000 or $300,000 more. Um, the third thing is just sort of an inkling. I don't know if we're back where we need to be. As I said, we were going through, um, and we all, every year we were trying to, like, you know, the first year I was on the board, we were, like, saying, well, no, we're going to get one less copier um, at George Mason at the time. Um, and we were you know, doing those sorts of level of cuts. And a lot of the things that got cut then were additional pay for teacher certifications and the extra pay, extra duty schedule got reduced. I don't know if we're back where we were and if that's been marginally increased over time, but I'd like to look and see if there are things that we cut during that process that we really should, or at least now that we've got a little bit of resources we can give back. Because um, I, you know, I don't know off the top of my head if we're, you know, we're now paying extra for appropriate teacher search, or we're paying half what we used to. I just think we ought to we ought to look at fair compensation and where teachers are do putting the work in to to get new certifications, to be team leaders. That we're we're back where we need to be, and that's not to say we need you know, we were right before. I just would like to be able to take a look at that, maybe do some comparisons to what other people do, and make sure we're we're implementing best practices. So those are the sort of three areas for me. Um, overall COLA, um, professional development investment, and what about other things that got cut in the process that maybe need to be restored? So that's it. Again, I, I thought it was an exceptionally well-prepared budget, and um, thank you also for giving it to me only electronically. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, we are right there with you with the COLA. Um, let, me, let me just start with that. And, um, and in the moment, we can recognize some additional 
uh, funding to pour into that cola, we'll, we will immediately. Um, I, I also agree that uh, professional development, unfortunately, over the last decade has taken a hit, um, which is antithetical to who we are as an organization. We're, an, we're a learning organization. We, if we're learning, our kids are learning. And, and for some reason, um, school systems across America have made decisions to cut professional development, which uh, is the opposite of what we're trying to do. So um, we, we agree. Um, I, I, I like the idea of looking. Um, I know that uh, Mr. Bates, our chief academic officer, spent quite a bit of time talking with some folks, and maybe we can give a little bit more information about that at the work session um, as well, and then also around kind of what happened six, seven years ago, and is there some opportunity to kind of come back. And, and I know that there are some areas that we've heard from some of our teachers, whether it's around certification or national board certification, pay, or some other, uh, other things, and so we can certainly look at that. So thank you. Thank you, Mr. Reidinger. Yes, Ms. Silverman. Good afternoon, and thank you for the presentation and to all of your staff for what looks like a lot of hard work and a lot of collaboration, and um, it was such an amazing presentation to learn about all this. Um, one thing I do want to point out is that in December at the joint meeting with City Council, you had mentioned that we were going to be able to, uh, to fund about 500000 out of the $2 million of building requests. And you've increased that number to about 1.5 million, which is a testament to your work and dedication to really listening to the buildings, to the building leadership, listening to the teachers. Um, one place that I come from and where the building request should be, um, and I also want to hear from the leadership of the schools and the teachers, but um, is, you know, many of the teachers I think are feeling overwhelmed right now and just making sure that the core functions of what they're supposed to be doing is met and before we add on some extra projects. So you mentioned the word, the term highest priority in your presentation. So while th some things might be priority, they might not be highest priority um, in my view this year. Mm -hmm. um, so I was during the work sessions, I would want to delve into some of those extra projects. Um, and another thing that I'd want to look at in the presentation you had mentioned adding one additional uh, MEH teacher to help with the six-block teaching. And I've heard a lot about the six-block teaching. Um, I'd also want to hear from uh, MEH leadership and staff if one extra teacher would be sufficient in order to alleviate that pressure. And then finally, one comment that you made a, a few times was the governor's budget. And we're currently talking about Governor Northam when we talk about the governor's budget. Correct. And so we really don't know if Governor Yunkin is going to um, actually give us uh, funding for school construction. Um, and I don't know if we have any indication whether that's actually going to happen or not, unless you know more than what's in the public <laughs> viewpoint on that. Right I don't now. know if I know any more than what's on the public viewpoint. What I can share with you is that um, yesterday and today was our uh, annual VASBO VAS uh, conference in Richmond. I didn't obviously go. I did it um, electronically through Zoom. Um, we got presentations from <coughs> uh, multiple offices um, and including um, a, a House of Delegates representative and a senator um, from both parties who are both committed to um, the funding pieces that have been put into the current budget. <coughs> I think one of the questions that will remain is what that actually looks like from a mechanical perspective in terms of getting it to school divisions. 
But I do think um, the origin of that particular piece of providing for facilities was not driven by Northern Virginia. Um, it was driven by Southwest Virginia. Uh, and my sense is, considering <laughs> the, um, the way the votes fell, um, that it, it probably will, will stick around. So I'm, I'm somewhat optimistic about it. Um, and listening to the Senator and the, uh, the House of Delegates representative today, um, I also feel pretty good about the direction things may be headed with the support cap as well. Um, so we'll see there may be some additional funding that will come in okay. um, around the support cap. But I, um, I, I don't disagree with you on the earlier points. Um, one of the things I, just from a process perspective that may be helpful is that all of the requests that we went through came from the schools, um, came from our principals, came from the teachers. They met with the teachers. They presented to me all of the um, requests that came from the schools. So when <clears throat> we looked at, for example, Mary Ellen Henderson's request, the request was for an additional teacher. I think that they, my assumption is you would have asked for more if you wanted more, because I don't think Rob's a shrinking violet at all. But um, we did try to fund pretty much everything that, they, that was requested. Well, I guess that goes to my final point. Um, you know, and I know that we talked about this before, and I'm sure we'll get into it during the work session. But seeing that full list, because yep. what you know, what I've seen here tonight, um, I, I wouldn't know that. Um, yep. So it, you know, just seeing that full list of requests versus what was uh, put into your suggested budget, and then being able to look at the full list of requests so that the school school board can then uh, draft you know its own budget. For sure, would be helpful. You got question number one in the budget. Uh, the budget document. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Silverman. Any other questions? Okay, Dr. Noon, I have a quick one. Uh, you had uh, listed a school psychologist. Uh, if I'm correct, is that in addition? I remember we had some, I believe, COVID relief funds and we one off money that we hired two school psychologists for two years. I, I, don't, right? I don't believe that we've been able to hire them yet. Um, I'm looking at, at okay. Rebecca Sharp. But, but so would this be an addition to this would be that? A permanent, this would be a permanent. Okay. Um, the money that we were looking at, there are two pots of money that we were looking at. One was through some COVID relief funding. We've also applied for some additional money from the state that may be available to purchase um, for the short term a school psychologist. Uh, we should be getting some information about that grant probably in the next week or so. But this would be a permanent full-time person in our system using recurring dollars as opposed to one-time money. Great. So this would be in addition to those other positions we had talked about Correct. a couple months ago. Okay. Correct. Thank you. I, I thought that was the case. I just wanted to clarify. Yep. Any other questions? Okay. Well, thank you, uh, Dr. Noonan and, and Ms. Michael and Ms. Kopic for all of your work on this. And uh, I believe we are on, you're, you're still on the docket here, Dr. Noonan, for uh, talking about your incredible principals who are in the room. Well, thank you all for the opportunity to present the budget. You're sitting all the way in the back. <laughs> um, for those of you that don't know, um, and I guess we're going to go to 6.1, um, and our principals may not have the agenda, but 6.1 is recognition of our principals. And I know some of you are like, why am I having to go to this? You're coming to this because we shared the budget, and we want to recognize you because it's principals week. Um, and we are so proud of the work that each of you have done. So. Um, I'm going to, uh, Mr. Benton, we're going to actually call them all up if you want to get a picture of them all together. But I'm going to read uh, for you a certificate of recognition, and I have one for each of you. 
Um, and it says, Virginia School Principals Appreciation Week. Whereas school principals work cooperatively to direct, develop, and inspire all members of the school staff and student body and to communicate effectively with parents to engage them in a learning process and whereas principals serve as educational leaders responsible for managing the policies, regulations, and procedures necessary to ensure a safe and effective learning environment for all students in Virginia public and private school, schools, and whereas principals and teachers are entrusted with the opportunity and the responsibility of guiding, directing, nurturing, mentoring, and imparting knowledge to our children while they are at school, and whereas principals must work collaboratively with teachers, staff, student, parents, and community at large to proactively prepare students to be self-reliant and productive citizens, and whereas the Virginia School Principals Appreciation Week is an opportunity to recognize the hard work of Virginia school principals and to recognize the importance of principals ensuring that every child has access to a quality education. Now, therefore, I, not me, Ralph Northam, do hereby recognize January 8th through 14th, 2022, as the Virginia School Principals Association Week, Appreciation Week in the Commonwealth of Virginia, and I call this observance to the attention of all of our citizens. So this evening, what I would like to do is to present each of our incredible principals a certificate um, for suitable for framing um, to, that can go in your office at some point. Um, but before I do that, I just want to personally um, say thank you. Um, the, the work that has gone in to keeping our schools open for the last two years uh, has taken its toll. And, and tonight is just another night out for, for you. And I appreciate you very much being here because it was budget night. Um, and the budget really was your budget as much as it was my budget. But the, your ability to keep the doors open and keep your staff moving forward, um, remaining as, as positive and as productive as they have been, um, really is a testament to each and every one of your leadership. And I'm just very appreciative of each of you. And I, I think I speak on behalf of the board when I say that um, they are appreciative of you as well. So with that, I'm going to call each of you up and hand you a certificate. And um, so here we go. Amanda Davis. School board to stand up. Can we do that? Terrific. Thank you, guys. I really know it. 
your first photo. Thank you, Dr. Noonan, and again, thank you to our amazing principals. Uh, I think they deserve about 500 of those certificates apiece <laughs> for all that they've been through in the past two years. Thank you again. Um, and now we're going to move on to Section 7, Public Comments and Requests. In accordance with School Board Policy BDDHKD, the time for each speaker is limited to three minutes. Additional written statements may be submitted to the clerk for dissemination to the board members and for the record. Ms. Goodell, do we have any public comment this evening? Uh, no, we have no speakers, but we did receive two written uh, public comments on uh, gun safety, and those are posted on board docs. Thank you, Ms. Goodell. Next on the agenda is Section 8, closed meeting. I'd welcome a motion. Dr. Dimmick. Pursuant to the Virginia Freedom of Information Act, I move that the board convene a closed meeting for the following purpose, to discuss or consider the identified <coughs> subject matter. Personnel under Section 2.2-3711A1 in particular, staff appointments, staff reassignments, staff resignations, staff long-term medical leave and child care leave requests and leave of absence, and advisory committee appointments and legal matters under Section 2.2-3711A8 in particular consultation with legal counsel employed or retained by the public body regarding specific legal matters requiring the provision of legal advice by such counsel. Thank you, Dr. Dimmick. Do I have a second? Second. Thank you, Mr. Reitinger. All those in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? At this, school, at this time, the school board members will move to another location for the closed meeting. Dr. Noonan, do you have an idea of how long this might take? This is going to be a relatively quick closed session. I would say maybe 10 minutes. Okay. Thank you. We should be returning in about 10 minutes. Thank you. Ms. Minton, can you guide us? Yes, absolutely. Welcome back, everyone. I would like to seek a motion to reconvene to an open meeting. Dr. Dimmick? Uh, Chair, I move that the board reconvene to open meeting. Is there a second? Second. Thank you, Mr. Rager. Thank you, Dr. Dimmick. And uh, all of those in favor, say aye. 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 Any opposed? Ms. Goodell? Uh, motion carries. Okay. Thank you. Our next step is to certify the closed meeting. Is there a motion? Mr. Reitinger? The people are going to have to step up eventually. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Whereas the Falls Church City School Board has convened a closed meeting on this date, pursuant to an affirmative recorded vote and in accordance with the provisions of the Virginia Freedom of Information Act, 
And whereas Section 2.2.3711B of the Code of Virginia requires a certification by the school board that such closed meeting was conducted in conformity with Virginia law, now therefore be it resolved that the Falls Church City School Board hereby certifies that to the best of each member's knowledge, one, only public business matters lawfully exempted from open meeting requirements by Virginia law were discussed in the closed meeting to which the certification applies, and two, only such public business matters as were identified in the motion convening the closed meeting were heard, discussed, or considered. Thank you, Mr. Reinger. Do I have a second? Second. second. I'll give that one to Ms. Silverman. Thank you. Uh, Ms. Goodell, could you please do a roll call vote? Yes. Dr. Dimick? Yes. Ms. Downs? Yes. Mr. Gould? Yes. Dr. Ortiz? Yes. Mr. Reitinger? Yes. Ms. Silverman? Yes. And Ms. Tice? Thank you, and the motion carried. Thank you, Ms. Goodell. Uh, our next item is 10.04, our uh, consent agenda. Uh, sorry, consent agenda. I'd welcome a motion. Back to Ortiz. I move the adoption of uh, the approval of the consent agenda as presented. Thank you, Dr. Ortiz. Do I have a second? Uh, thank you, Ms. Tice. We, oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Any yeah. opposed? Okay, now Ms. Goodell. Yeah, the motion carries. Thank you. Sorry, uh, just the, the practice had been before when we were partially remote that we were doing ro roll call votes. But before that, back when we were always meeting face to face, we always just used unanimous consent for the consent agenda. Are we going to go back to that or are we oh. going to actually do a, a vote? I don't know what the appropriate thing to do is under the, the rules that we've got now. Right. I will defer to Ms. Minson and... I believe that um, asking for ayes, nays, and abstentions is sufficient, but I will look into it and um, if needed, amend going forward. Thank you, Ms. Benson. The, the practice that we had is just to ask for unanimous consent for the consent agenda. So there wouldn't be ayes or nays. There would just be nobody would object and we'd move forward. If that, if that's... So there would still be the motion, the recommendation, second, right. ask for right. unanimous consent. Yep. Folks nod and say yes. Or it's actually unanimous consent unless there isn't unanimous consent. And then somebody says, I okay. object. Right. Um, I think that's I, fine. It's fine. And, and with the consent agenda also, um, it's, it's similar to the process of agreeing to the consent agenda. Anybody can pull something off consent by motion. Mm -hmm. um, otherwise, it's presumed or through unanimous consent that it goes on to, uh, to that um, consent agenda. Okay. So I think, you, I think that would be great. Okay. Thank you, Mr. Eidinger. And I believe, and we did return to the roll call for when we're certifying things because we're back in a normal um, setting. Okay. Thank you all very much. It's like we're all first-year teachers again. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Reidinger, for that clarification. The next item of business is 11.02, approval and adoption of CIP, and I would uh, like to turn it over to Dr. Noonan. Thank you, Chair Downs. Um, at the last work session, uh, many of you know Brian Fowler, our Director of Operations uh, and Facilities, did a really great presentation with the support of Kristen Michael on uh, CIP, and we're asking that you all, um, actually, I'll turn it over to Ms. Michael. She's got a comment. 
So the only thing that was changed from the CIP as it was presented to you last meeting by um, Brian Fowler was that we added the additional information with the one-time funding from the state um, for the modifications at Oak Street Elementary to create a secure vestibule and improve ADA access to Oak Street. And in the version that's printed, the changes were made in a dark red font. So you could see anything that was changed. Um, the majority of that is on pages six and seven. Thank you. Otherwise, we're asking for approval as presented. Are there any questions from anyone on the board? This is, as uh, Ms. Michael said, this is very similar to the presentation. And, and I would like to thank you, Ms. Michael and Dr. Noonan, for following up on that Oak Street piece. That's uh, very important. I, I have a question. Yes, please, Dr. Ortiz. Yes, so the only question I have is more, uh, more uh, operational. Um, uh, assuming that this goes into the into the um, into the into the capital improvement plan, what's the um, schedule for actually having these um, improvements in place? It's a really great question. Um, we have. I'll start, and you can finish. <laughs> we have um, utilized architects prior, but we would end up having to go out to a bid for the project at Oak Street because of the size and scope. Um, so I wouldn't anticipate that anything could be done within probably a year um, and probably looking at two years from now by the time we get an architect on board, drawings, permits, um, and move to construction. Okay, thank you. The state, um, this funding is one of the rare instances where state funding can be used over multiple fiscal years, so they were well aware that um, most jurisdictions couldn't spend it within the one-year time frame. That was going to be my next question. Ms. Michael's a mind reader. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you, Dr. Ortiz. Uh, could I now have a motion uh, regarding the uh, approval of the CIP? Dr. Dimmick. I move that the school board approve and adopt the CIP FY 23-28 as presented. Thank you, Dr. Dimmick. Any second? Ms. Tice, thank you for the second. All those in favor, say aye. Aye. Any opposed? Thank you. Ms. Goodell. Yes, and the motion carries. Thank you, Ms. Goodell. Our next item is 11.03, approval, approved second reading and adoption of policies. Uh, Dr. Noonan, I'll just straight over to Ms. Minson. <laughs> thank you, Ms. Minson. Absolutely, and good evening. Um, we have two policies for second reading this evening. The first is policy KBC Media Relations. This would replace the current policy 5.3 by the same uh, similar title, Relations with News Media. Um, this was presented at first reading in December, and there were actually no um, proposed questions or changes to policy KBC. Are there questions now regarding this um, proposed policy, KBC Media Relations? Hearing none, I'll move on to the second and final policy for this evening. It's policy KBE, Internet Privacy. This would repa replace our current policy 5.6, Internet Website Privacy. There were a number of proposed changes. Thank you to Mr. Redinger for his um, review of this during first reading. And also thank you to Dr. Ortiz. He pointed out that at line 36, the sentence um, begins communicate protocol addresses. Um, that word should actually be communication protocol addresses. Uh, from the devices, so I would recommend um, that one grammatical change, but also happy to answer any questions or concerns regarding this 
draft model policy KBE internet privacy. And if there aren't any questions, those are the two policies for this evening. Thank you. Mr. Reitinger, do you, sorry to point you out, you good? Okay. <laughs> I know you had a lot of edits to that, to that one policy or suggestions, I'm sorry. Well, thank you very much, uh, Ms. Minson. And uh, could I have a uh, motion, please, to approve second reading and adoption of policies? Dr. Ortiz? Yeah, I'd like to move that the school board approve second reading and adoption of policies, KBC Media Relations and KBE Internet Privacy as presented, noting the uh, clerical change from Ms. Minson. Thank you, Dr. Ortiz. May I have a second? second? Thank you, Mr. Gould. All those in favor, say aye. Aye. Any opposed? Thank you, Ms. Goodell. Yes, and the motion carries. Great. Thank you, Ms. Goodell. Our next item is 12.01, future agenda items. Does anyone have any future agenda items they'd like to bring up? Dr. Ortiz. Yeah, I have a, 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 few, um, a few that I'd like to have on the agenda. They don't need to be on the agenda anytime soon, but I think these are things that, that, I, that I believe that the community would like to hear about on a regular basis. I want to make sure that, that we take note of them. Um, I appreciate the video and the staff attention to the learning recovery plan. One thing I think that'd be, that's important for us to talk about in work sessions as well as, as present publicly are our benchmarks and progress toward, um, toward those, those learning recovery goals. Um, and obviously this is not something that's gonna happen between now and February or March. So I think it's something that we should take a long-term view at and over the course of the next several years, make sure that we're making the progress that we hope to achieve. Um, the next is a detailed review of the special services. Um, I appreciate in Dr. Noonan's budget that uh, you know the, the the services that are that the special services that we're known for were broken out in quite a bit of detail. I think it's important for us to continually renew um, where we are in terms of best practices in terms of delivering those services as well as how we evaluate our performance in that delivery. And then the next is um, um, I really appreciate that the um, that the that we're that we're taking the um, the vision of the of the new high school in terms of its um, environment very small environmental fo footprint to heart and working th and there's been um, this grassroots effort on the sustainability program as somebody who works professionally in energy it's an area of great interest to me and I think it's one that I think that um, we all would like to hear about more as well as um, get some firsthand knowledge and and um, and um, insight into. So those are three things I'd like to see over the next, I see maybe if we can do that before December, that would be terrific. Thank you, Dr. Ortiz. Anyone else? Yes, Dr. Dimmick. Thank you. Um, I, I am going to propose some changes to the monitoring section of the DEI policy. I plan to send those to you soon and maybe we can work on that in our next uh, policy session at an upcoming board meeting. Thank you, Dr. Dimmick. I know that was something we had talked about at the end of um, last calendar year. So that's something that I think that will be upcoming on the agenda. Yes, Mr. Reidinger. Just a note, I, I support Dr. Dimmick's suggestion of looking at the monitoring piece of the DEI policy in particular. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Reidinger. Anyone else? Ms. Tice. 
Uh, yeah, I just wanted to follow up um, the public comments that we got tonight and then also some of your comments in the December meeting about school safety. And I know there's a lot of community interest in knowing what exactly our schools are doing um, in terms of just gun violence prevention and school safety in general. So I think perhaps an overview to the community and also just an update to the board on where we are with that, making sure we're following best practices. Thank you, Ms. Tice. Yes, Ms. Silverman. I just wanted to chime in also that I support uh, both Ms. Tice's and Dr. Dimmick's uh, future agenda items. Great, thank you. Yeah, I don't know if this is the place for it. Um, the flow of traffic uh, on Haycock in the morning and the folks that cut through to avoid the traffic light and cut through the giant parking lot, then sort of zipping by exactly where the students seem to be walking. I, I would like I would like to think about that a little. Maybe we could tie that to a broader topic of safe routes to school or something like that. I, I think some of it's time bound in some ways. Um, so yeah. Thanks. Thank you, Dr. Dimmick. Anyone else? Yes, Ms. Tice. Sorry, I thought of one more that I meant to bring up. Um, I, in my work over the last several years with the Mary, Style, Mary Riley Stiles Public Library uh, Board of Trustees, there's um, been a lot of interest in both the librarians at the public library and um, some interest from the librarians at the schools to build that relationship even stronger than it already is. And um, I'd like to explore the possibility of adding a liaison from the school board to the Mary Riley Stiles Public Library Board of Trustees. Um, just have that conversation. So, Ms. Tice, you must have ESP because I was thinking of this exact thing today. I don't know why I was thinking about it, but I know of your involvement with the, um, I don't know, I'm not going to get into it right now, but anyway, I had the same exact thought and I was going to talk with you about it. So, well, I know that the Parks and Rec, um, you know, has a liaison mm -hmm. and there's been a lot of benefit to that. So, I think there, there's a lot of opportunity there that would be great to maximize. I just personally, I completely agree. So we can explore that further for sure. Anyone else? Yes. I, just, a, just a quick comment. Um, I think at our last meeting, we got about four agenda items that you all want. And tonight, I think we got about six or seven. Um, and, and we're in budget season and trying to deal with COVID. So we'll, we'll meet them out as best we can um, and get to them as quickly as possible. I just want to um, be a little protective of the staff at the moment, <laughs> but we're, we'll, we'll be on it. Yeah, we can, we'll definitely slate these. And I think, you know, Dr. Ortiz's yours were sort of more broader. So yep. those are things, you know, and, and whereas I think Dr. Dimmick's with the equity, we'd already started that. So I, we can definitely prioritize and I don't, the library, I don't think will take too much staff time or anything, right. but yeah, we'll definitely, um, but it's great to have, have the uh, new members on yeah. board and having new ideas is, is terrific. It's awesome. Don't, 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 take what I said in any other way, then <laughs> it's just a workload. We're excited to do it. Anyone else? Okay, well, we'll move on to item 13.01, the superintendent's report. Dr. Noonan, turn All it right. over to you. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, I've got a relatively lengthy um, one this, this evening. I'll try to get through it as quickly as possible. First is, I, I just want to um, send a, a moment of gratitude and give a, a big shout out to our staff. Um, in FCCPS. Um, we're in the midst of a month where everyone needs a hashtag handle with care. 
um, logo on them, and our team is rising to the challenge. Earlier, um, right before we ended winter break, I sent an email asking um, for everybody to sort of be all hands on deck. Um, and everybody has, you know, shoveled snow, covered for each other, covered for sick employees, is taking care of um, co contact tracing responsibilities and, and really doing it all. And in this perfect storm of consequences and circumstances, as always, our staff has, has risen to the occasion. And I just want to take a second and say thank you to them. Um, there's no question that we're in a surge and we'll work to continue working together as a team to keep the buses running, buildings open, food served students in classrooms, and it has taken extra creativity, <laughs> for sure, to, to make that happen. Um, but we're very hopeful that um, this will peak um, the, 20, the week of the 24th of January is what the UVA model is ca calling for right now, and we're, we're hopeful. Um, so we'll see where we end up. Just in terms of COVID report, I, I did want to give you all some numbers through the winter break, um, and then through yesterday, um, uh, you know, since they are so much higher since the pandemic began. Um, and we have seen um, 54 new cases since Saturday, January 8th to today, uh, January 11th. So just in terms of cases, um, since, since the 1st of January, the number of student cases is 158, and our cumulative total since August was 220. So we're seeing a, a significant spikes. Um, number of staff cases is also 158, and we had um, 62 prior to that. Um, students in quarantine, this is a good news story. We have 46 students in quarantine, um, and our cumulative since August 1st is 197. And what we're seeing is that kids um, that have gotten their vaccinations don't, have, don't need to quarantine, and that's made a huge difference in, in terms of kids. Um, so we do report this every Friday, these data, um, but I did want to just sort of give you all a sense of kind of where we are in terms of the, the spike going forward. Um, starting tomorrow, we do have a change in our COVID reporting processes, um, and we're, um, the two changes um, are uh, the Fairfax County Health Department has changed their contact tracing procedure and is no longer providing release letters for the end of quarantine. Those are now left to the schools, um, and the reason for that is the overwhelming surge. So when parents are reporting to us that their student is COVID positive, we actually will send them, and you've probably seen this, the timeline of zero to five days, six days to 10 days. And then we provide that release date for those families so long as students are um, you know, symptom-free and fever-free without any medication on the fifth day, they can come back on the sixth day wearing a mask in all circumstances. Um, so we're, we're excited to sort of be able to um, sort of move that direction. Um, excited is not the right word, but we're, we're moving that direction, and, uh, and that's good for us, and it's just overwhelming to the health department right now, and that's why that change has happened. Um, Give Day is a big day for us in the City of Falls Church. It's January 31st, um, and it's the first time it's going to be a single day across the entire school division, and as you may remember, January 31st is one of our ATL days, one of our um, approaches to learning days. So students um, of all ages are going to be called to serve in, in GIF, and we're excited about that. Um, and it stands for Get Involved, Value Everyone. And since its inception in 2016, a small group of fifth graders who are now 11th graders um, and the Falls Church Elementary PTA, Give Day, has fostered a culture of care in FCCPS. And over the years, ongoing enthusiasm for these programs expanded it to the middle school and to the high school Give Day programs. And January is turning into Give Month, as our students give day ambassadors work together to raise awareness um, and funds for their service projects. 
So the school board and community members can help out and support with Give Day a couple of different ways. Um, the first is there's a dine-out takeout with Claire and Don's on Tuesday, January 8th uh, from 5 to 8, and that will support the middle, and I'll put all this out there so you can have it, but that'll support the middle school Give Day. Uh, bingo night with Baruti Camps on Friday, January 21st at 7.30. That'll support the elementary Give Day. There's going to be a bake sale at the community center on Saturday, January 29th from 9 to 12, and that'll support elementary Give Day. And then um, ordering the Give Day or mystery ice cream flavor at Lazy Mike's on January 21st. Hopefully it'll be a nice warm day. Um, and if you pick that up by the 28th, it'll support the middle school Give Day as well. And then on January 31st, all of the events will happen at Meridian High School. <clears throat> from 10 to noon, um, our elementary students will pack um, their power packs in the gym. From 10.30 to 1, the middle and high school students will be packing meal packs into Henderson and Meridian cafeterias. And at 11 a.m., high school Give Day ambassadors will be hosting an Ignite uh, session uh, services action panel with guest speakers Michael Curtin of DC Central Kitchen, uh, Marilee Gutierrez of Comunidad, Max Levitt of Leveling the Playing Field, Matthias Pollock of Collaborate Up, and Rebecca Tax of Food Justice DMV in the Innovation Commons for all 8th through 12th graders um, who are uh, wanting to come. So that will be open to all. So we have a big Give Day um, celebration coming on the 31st and hoping that everyone who wants to participate can. So that, Madam Chair uh, and board members, this is the end of my... Thank you, Dr. Aaron. That wasn't too long. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> Ms. Silverman. Um, no way to really sugarcoat it. I think that's really unfortunate news about the COVID numbers and just kind of the direction we are heading. I'm hoping that the plummet happens as it's happened in other countries. Um, but in the meantime, we do have a governor coming in in um, four days from now who has promised to repeal the mask mandate for the state, for the schools. And that doesn't need legislative action. Like, for example, the grocery tax, it's something that can happen with you know the executive stroke of his pen. Um, so that means in a week from today, there's a chance taking the governor at his word which I'm going to, and I think that it's the, the governor elected his word, and I think it's something that um, my guess would be a likelihood would happen because it's something that he really ran on and campaigned on was repealing the mask mandate. So a week from today, you're going to have staff and students with the opportunity to either wear masks or not wear masks in schools. Um, I am of the belief that COVID is here in perpetuity. But I'm also in the belief that masking is not here in perpetuity. So the question is, when is that off-ramp? When does that happen? But I do not believe that January 18th is the right date to do it um, based on Omicron and the numbers. So are we going to have some sort of guidance, a school policy rule about masking between now and the 18th? Yeah, uh, thank you for the question, Ms. Silverman. Um, one, I think it's a little early to talk about an off-ramp to masks because we're in the middle of an Omicron spike. Um, we've had some internal conversations about what that might look like, but I don't think we're prepared at this point to talk about an unmasking of the school system. Um, I, I, think, I think I understand our community enough. I think I believe what the will of the board is um, that we would continue wearing masks, even though we have options uh, until such time as we get to a place where our percent positivity and transmission drops um, out of the levels that we are. Um, we have a very high vaccination rate in the City of Falls Church. 
um, which is great, um, but it's still not time for us to unmask. And I, I hope that this board would agree with that. Um, the, only, the, the only thing that um, I would say is that there are probably two approaches that um, Governor-elect can take. The first is he, he could just repeal the health order and say, you know, masks are now optional. Or he could take a more aggressive approach, which we've seen in other states such as Florida, where governors have signed orders saying um, absolutely cannot wear a mask, and if schools mandate masks, we'll pull your state funding. Um, I, I suspect that um, if a governor were to be that aggressive, that uh, through some conversation with this board, um, like some surrounding jurisdictions that I've had an opportunity to speak with, uh, we probably would be um, willing to take a risk in litigation um, in, in that circumstance because I, I still don't think that we're ready to unmask in the city of Falls Church. Our, our numbers are just too high. So all that to say that in four days or whenever the governor repeals the mandate, um, we, we won't be ready to unmask. And, and there will be direction from me to continue wearing masks in schools. And uh, as numbers begin to drop and we see the backside, of the curve, at that point in time, we'd be happy to engage in a conversation about what it would look like to unmask, but not until such time as we see a significant and precipitous drop. So there would be a school rule that? Yes. Okay, so that would be implemented. And um, also, thank you for saying that you would take the risk with litigation. I agree with that. Yeah, I, I don't know if the whole board agrees with that, but I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's a conversation for another day, and we'll kind of see what happens. But Let's hope it's the former approach if he does anything, but if it is the latter, I support you. Thank you. I, I will tell you, I don't, if it were the latter, uh, you would not be alone as a board um, after speaking with some of my colleagues in the region yesterday about this very issue. Thank you, Ms. Silverman. And thank you, Dr. Noonan. Perhaps you could just keep us posted through Noonan's notes as some of the, as you're working through what sort of the metrics look, um, you know, not now, but yep. hopefully in a month or so where, where we are in terms of masking. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, and, and Dr. Noonan, I just wanted to just um, give a shout out um, to you and your staff for last week. Uh, we were the only, for those of you who may not be aware, um, the public who's listening, we're the only school in Northern Virginia uh, that were able to come in person uh, for two days uh, last week. So between Omicron and snow and ice, um, just thanking you, your staff, the facilities, um, you know, employees, the bus drivers, teachers, everyone who showed up and did their job. Uh, it was pretty impressive. And I know that I've, I had received more than several, had received several compliments from parents who were just so impressed that we were able to have in-person school for two days last week. Um, I'm not sure if the, the students can say they were as excited, but <laughs> everyone else was. So. Ariana, how do you? <laughs> so thank, thank you. you, thank you very much. Yes, Ms. Tice. Just had a, a quick um, COVID question. In terms of uh, families that are registered through the VISTA testing program, um, is there an option, um, or would it be too logistically complicated to volunteer? during a week to be one of the ones tested? I'm just thinking testing is becoming so uh, hard to come by. And, um, you know, if you get a letter that you're an expo you have an exposure and you can't find a home test that week to kind of relieve your, your worries, is that an option or is that too logistically? No, my, my understanding is that if there is a student that wants to be tested, we'll test them. And so what would, what would that process? Um, if, if you'll let us, uh, let's, let's figure out what the process is. Send me a note. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Note to 
John Brett at FCCPS.org. Uh, last week was, and, and that's, a, that's an interesting question too, just by the way, um, you know, we, I feel like we did a service to the community offering the drive-through PCR testing. Um, we caught a lot of heat for it from some community members because we weren't transparent with the outcomes, um, which, you know, we were providing a service. Um, is my personal take, but I, I will tell you that we tested about 660 students and about, about 65 were positive. So it was about a 10% positivity rate. Um, that was an interesting day though, because there were a lot of kids that were coming through that the parents knew were sick, but were confirming with a PCR test. Um, so this last week we tested um, on Thursday, 330 kids roughly, um, and 15 were positive. And we did find out that at what time, six o'clock in the morning on Monday, we were able to, through the work of Kristen and, and Rebecca, and I was chatting with them on, online, uh, we were able to reach all of the parents and let them know before school started. So um, we were able to, to let those 15 families know, but that's 5%. So on a it seems like on a routine week, earlier prior to Omicron, we had zero cases, then we had 10%, uh, then we had 5%. So I would anticipate it's gonna be more like a 5% uh, target hit rate, so. Yes, Ms. Silverman. Are we aware of any epidemiological links amongst those students, um, not the winter break ones, but the ones that were tested at school? There, uh, there's one epidemiological link that we are aware of, and that's the wrestling team. Um, and that wrestling team has been paused for, for two weeks um, because of that. It's considered uh, an outbreak, and so we have taken the appropriate measures and steps to deal with that. What are the numbers of uh, students that have opted into the VISTA program at this point for screening? Uh, you know, I'm looking at John. We can get that number and okay. get it to you. I do know that the uh, question about the VISTA program and opting into that was confusing for some of the uh, public in the terms of what was the benefits for opting into the program. Um, if they were uh, identified, then they would be paused. And this is obviously going back to, to uh, November. So I don't know if the families that have opted into that program would be a good sample size to compare to the drive-in to have this 10% and now a 5%, um, just because I think the families that would be opting into the VISTA program are probably more understanding of the community aspects of the, the benefits of such a program. So I think we should just be cautious of making that link between those two events. We have a 1,167 students and 243 staff members. And we're testing about 30% a week. So fair caution, for sure. That's great, that number's increased a lot since. It has, and, and the advantage of doing the the opt-in testing is if you're positive, you pause. <laughs> That's the advantage because you don't want to come into school with COVID. Um, so knowing who has COVID and being able to pause those students actually is helpful to the broader community. Mm -hmm. There were some people that opted out because they didn't want their kid to pause, didn't want to find out that their kid was positive because they didn't want them to pause. And to me, I, I don't quite understand that rationale because we want to know who's positive so that we can take the appropriate precautions and provide them their um, opportunities online. Thank you. Oh, Ms. Tice. Sorry, one more question. Um, 
with terms of outdoor eating, I realize it's it's more challenging in the elementary school because the whole class would need to go out and be you know at, in the same place. But at the secondary, is there a way to revisit the options for going outside? I, I've spoken to several families who just prefer, like those kids want to be outside regardless of the cold. Um, and since it's not something that would have to be mandated for all kids, is there an exact metric that they use when it's not precipitation and if it's just temperature? Um, the, the temperature metric is typically below freezing. Um, and then it becomes a supervision issue um, because our staff don't want to go out there and supervise either when it's below zero or below 32. So some of it's a working conditions issue. I understand though. Dr. Dimmick. Thank you for your presentation, Dr. Noon. And I also just want to thank staff. Um, this is two winter breaks in a row where we've had staff come in early from their winter break. Last year was moving into the new high school and this year it was the testing and it, I was just really surprised when I took my kid through the testing. I'm like, oh, I know all these people. They're all our staff and <laughs> their winter break is ending a day early. So I'm very grateful for, for everyone who's helped out. Thank you. That's a great point, Dr. Dimmick. Thank you. Anyone else? We'll remember them at the end of the year on that last teacher work day. Okay, our next, uh, thank you very much, Dr. Noon. Our next item is 1401, Board and Student Liaison Comments. Uh, so I, I believe it would just be us old folks uh, who have been around for two years that would have those. Uh, Ms. Reininger, do you have any updates? Nothing to report this evening. Okay, Dr. Dimmick. Um, I attended the Henderson PTA meeting. Um, it was a lot about Give Day, which Dr. Noonan already covered. Um, the community's been great at supporting Give Day and come out to the Henderson PTA, PTA would say, come out to Clarendon's and come out to Lazy Mike's. Um, they also talked about upcoming PTA speakers. Um, in February, Dr. Noonan is going to speak on the budget. Um, and in April, they're planning a very popular guest speaker, um, Dr. Stixrud, author of The Self-Driven Child. And a, a few years ago, he came and was very popular. Um, I've also been attending the SEEK meetings, and the December meeting was very productive and a great turnout. So it's a very, very, um, very productive group and great to see so many staff turn out. Thank you, Dr. Dimmick. Uh, I will do a couple quick updates. Uh, I attended the Chamber of Commerce meeting this morning virtually. Uh, they're looking to add some new um, businesses, some new members, and they're working to provide support to area businesses during the pandemic. Uh, I, uh, as well as Dr. Nuna, attended the Falls Church Education Foundation meeting uh, last night uh, virtually, and uh, they've just finished their audit. They are, they received, um, for those of you who may not know, they um, oversee the fundraising now for the Family Assistance Fund, which used to be done um, by the school staff. And so they took it over, I guess, like maybe a couple years ago. And um, so they've been re working really hard to raise money. And that, and that fund um, supports our students who have financial need. And so it could be something like so a family needs emergency rental assistance or help with paying utilities. And um, so it's been, you know, I have to just commend the Falls Church Education Foundation because they're an organization that makes, raises money on events. And so when you're in the middle of COVID that you have to be creative and they've continued to really uh, figure out how to get it done. And uh, they just received an anonymous uh, $20,000 donation to the Family Assistance Fund. So that's terrific. 
they're still planning uh, the May Gala, their bit, which is their big fundraiser, and they're hoping that's going to happen. Uh, so stay tuned for that. And uh, finally, the Meridian PTSA, um, they are providing proctoring support. So if there are teachers who are teaching virtually at Meridian because they're ill, um, the PTA is coming in and providing volunteers to, to sit in classrooms and proctor classrooms. They're um, also hosting a mock SAT. Um, they're in the middle of approving grants. And um, as Dr. Noonan said on the 31st, the, there will be um, teacher, the asynchronous learning. And so they're going to be uh, bringing in snacks for the teachers that, on that day. Uh, so that's it for me. Our esteemed student representative, would you like to give an update? Okay. Um, I don't have very much to comment, seeing as our fourth day um, in school since winter break. But I'd say, um, you know, shout out to all the staff. It is Principal Appreciation Week. Um, I know they're not here anymore, but us students, we do appreciate the principals and all the staff and all the teachers um, for all their work that they've done. And I would say thank you. I know I've had people who were appreciative that the snow day was called at 8 p.m. instead of 5 a.m. So thank you for that. Um, other than that, I don't have anything else to report. Thank you so much, Ms. Hamid. You know why that is? That's because everyone who's, like my son, who's procrastinating doing their homework, when you make the call the night before, they can say, all right, I don't need to do it. Procrastinating uh, another day. I will say it was a spirited debate between myself and our chief operating officer, <laughs> and she won out on that one. So you can thank Ms. Michael for the early call. <laughs> But it, but it is, uh, just by the way, I, I'll be sending some information to the community in the probably next week or two about how snow calls are made um, so that everybody, we send it every year, but just as a reminder, um, typically we, we don't make the calls the night before unless it's an obvious winter storm warning. Um, this one was an interest, the Friday one uh, storm was an interesting one because everybody around us had closed by about five o'clock for a variety of different reasons. Um, and then finally it turned into this was going to be an event, so we were able to call it early. Um, if we can do that, we will, um, but typically we meet at 4.30 in the morning, go over road conditions, go over um, weather, um, we, we get out on the roads, we see what's, what's happening, we meet with uh, VDOT, uh, we meet with COG, uh, and then we make the call at 4.30. So um, I'll send more information, though, uh, in the weeks to come. Thank you, Dr. Noonan. Uh, any anything else? Okay, we'll move on to so um, item number fifteen were uh, approval of minutes, and actually Dr. Ortiz brought it to um, my attention in Ms. Minson's that um, the the minutes, um, not all of the new school board members were at those meetings. So what we're going to do, and, and Ms. Goodell, if this would make sense, maybe if you could just email them the minutes, and they could have a little bit more time to look through them. Um, Ms. Minson suggested maybe if you all wanted to, if you really wanted to dig into it, you could look at the um, public recordings of the minutes to, um, I mean of the meetings to compare them to the minutes. Um, the, the reason is that to get um, enough to vote to approve those, we need to have the new school board members not abstaining but, but voting on those minutes. So we are going to hold off on those and give you all some time to look through those, if that makes sense. Okay. Thank you. Um, and then uh, number 16 are just uh, enrollment numbers for you all to review. And uh, we're at our last uh, item of the night. Is there anything before we close out? 
Seeing none, well, I would like to adjourn this meeting. Thank you very much. Have a good evening. Nice job there, Chair Downs. First one.